And what's good, everybody? What's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Amitaka TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields. Got a jam-packed, busy show for you today. Recap the World Series, give our congratulations to the Nationals, kill the Houston Nationals and Justin Verlander a little bit. Uh, and of course, it's all NFL. I'm going to tell you how I met uh, Saints, wide, re- Saints um, wide receiver and and return specialist Deontay Harris earlier this week. I'll touch on the Browns absolutely crapping the bed against New England Patriots last Sunday, uh, and then I'll touch on a few items that has ha- that has occurred in the early in the early one o'clock games and in this week in the National Football League, including why Anna Vinatieri needs to hang it up. The the Bears are absolutely dog trash. I mean, Luke. I mean, they just cannot get out of their own way. And I'll touch on the Jets hitting rock bottom, giving the Miami Dolphins their first win of the season. I'll touch on the Bengals absolutely, or not absolutely, but I'll touch on the Bengals benching Andy Dalton, and I'll touch on them doing nothing at the deadline. And I and I'll give you my thoughts on our owner being somewhere other than his job when the trade deadline came around uh, this past week. I also preview Ravens and Patriots for you, and I'll and I get this out the way right at the top. Tiger Woods tied Sam Snead. If you don't know who he is, look him up. Great, uh, great golfer back in the day. He tied Sam Snead with 82 PGA Tour career wins, with him getting uh, with him getting that 82nd win. And uh, at the Zo- at the Zozo Championship over in Japan uh, last Sunday, so we give our congratulations to Tiger and what has been a phenomenal 2019 for him, considering everything that he has gone through, not just as a golfer but also uh, as a person in his life. So we get that on the board and give our early congratulations to our little pal Tiger Woods. Uh, but the first things first in the monologue. And then we'll get to all the football is uh, the 2019 World Series. And congratulations, the 2019 Washington Nationals are your 2019 MLB uh, champions for the first time in their history. Uh, Just a congratulation, just a huge, huge congratulations to them. If there is any, if there is a team that deserved it more, it was it was them. 
They started out in not at they started the season or excuse me they were in the middle of April, and they had a or excuse me in the middle of May and they were nineteen and thirty one, uh under five hundred of course out of first place and totally not looking like they're gonna they were gonna make the playoffs and you know and the season looked lost the manager. Talk, talks about the manager Dave Martinez being fired. The rotation wasn't good enough. The bullpen wasn't good enough. The lineup wasn't good enough, and all of a sudden, this team out of nowhere, hit a, they a spark lit underneath them, and they took the league by storm. And they beat everyone that, that was in their path. They played in five elimination games this this uh, this uh, this past October. They've won, they won every single five of those elimination games. They become the first team in Major League Baseball history to win four road games in the World Series. And it's, and this past series was also the first World Series. There's been 115 World Series. This is the first one. This you know this one between the Astros and the Nationals is the first one where all seven games the road team was victorious. So you got so it got a little bit of um little stat tidbits to throw at you. But back with the Nationals, what a phenomenal job. <clears throat> They have done. I mean, this is just a team that going back to the wild card game and going back to the wild card game at the beginning of the month, about a month ago, as a matter of fact, uh, against Hater and the Brewers. I mean, that they, they did not they did not say die and they just kept fighting. I mean, their motto for this postseason run was stay in the fight. And boy, did they stay in the fight to the very end. And then it, it was from stay in the fight to finish the fight and then of course they finish the fight is finished as they are your 2019 uh world series champions for the first time in their history they overcome they overcame a lot of demons to get here i mean winning their first elimination game in franchise history which of course was a wild card game uh they won their first divisional series they won their first uh playoff series their first divisional series of course the game 5 on the road against against uh the Dodgers and with uh our little pal Dave Roberts and Clayton Kershaw spitting the bit but on the national but from the national side of things uh Juan Soto Juan Soto and um and uh, Howie Kendrick got it done there. Uh, then they win their first division, and then they win their first pl- uh, playoff series in the history of the franchise. And then they go on and they and they play the Cardinals. They basically used whatever juice they had had coming into this October to put up ten plus runs on the Braves in that game five, and didn't even show up. And they in the NLCS, and the Nationals took the NLCS and. And uh, it's pretty much that that series was the easiest series that the Nationals have played. They had, they had the claw back against the, they had the claw back against the Brewers in the wild card game. They had to come back and and make the Dodgers sweat to push them to five games. And then of course it went seven games here to win the whole thing. So that so the cha- so the championship series against the Cardinals was the easiest series. And the most cakewalk of a series that the Nationals played in in this postseason, because wildcard game, divisional series, and the World Series, all they had to stay, all all of all three of those events, they had to grind them out to the last at bat and and make their opponents work with their backs up with their backs as in the Nationals' backs up against the wall. While the NLCS, you know, it was it was a clean four game sweep as the Cardinals didn't even bother to show up. 
but they make it to the World Series. They they outscore they outscore Houston in their building, seventeen to seven. They go they go home. They go home. They can't. They go home. They they get outscored. They get outscored nineteen to three at home and the three games at home. They go back on the road and then they outscore Houston thirteen to four in the in the last two games of the series. Game six and seven. In Game Six, I mean Strasburg, who by the way opted out uh, earlier this weekend to test free agency. Who can blame him? He walked there with World Series MVP, but still, who can blame him? In this postseason, he this postseason he pitched in six games, went five and zero with a one point nine eight ERA. This postseason, in Game Six, he went eight. In Game Six, he went eight and thirty with five hits, two runs, struck out seven, only walked two guys. And went and went into and went into the ninth and went excuse me and went into the ninth inning. Something that you rarely rarely see in baseball today with the obsession of the analytics and bullpen. Uh, Strasburg gave a little bit of that uh, old timer type uh, stuff that you'd like to see from a starting pitcher, and that's take and that's take your big and that's to take your big time performance into the ninth inning, which he did. He got out in the ninth, got taken out, and then Sean Doolittle came in and and took care of the last two batters uh but they did it but the nationals did a phenomenal job in uh in game in game six uh particularly because and i'll get to houston in a minute but i'll I'll congratulate the nationals first then we'll then i'll go ahead and i'll pounce houston what a disgrace that was uh but the nationals overcame a whole a whole heck of a lot i mean starting i mean starting back with the with the phantom or runners interference call that that in my let's see I've been watching I've been watching and following baseball since I was about three four years old not not to the point where I know it now but I've been a fan of and watching the sport of baseball since I was three and I'm seventeen so about so this is this is four this is fourteen years of baseball nearly fifteen years I, I've been I've been following this. And I, you know, and I, I've seen plenty of games, but that runner interference call is the, has to be the most asinine, the most garbage, the most egregious call in the his in the 150 year history of Major League Baseball. For them to call that in a game six, a deciding game six of the World Series in the seventh inning, no less. In the seventh inning is an absolute disgrace. They, whether it be Manfred, whether it be Tory, whether it be the Umpire Association, all three of them should, should give... Anthony Rendon Christmas and birthday gifts from now until Anthony or the or Manfred or until for the rest of their life they should give Anthony Rendon Christmas and birthday gifts from now until the end of time because had not Anthony Rendon hit that home run off of hit hit that home run off of off of Harris in the seventh inning with a runner on and two out. Hadn't he had not hit that. So I believe to I I believe to tie the ball game up. 
major major league baseball would have had would have had to deal with or that put there were excuse me that that uh that put them out in front my apologies but they because they were up thirty two and Rendon makes it five to two anyway if Anthony Rendon does not hit that home run off of Will Harris and that and the Astros somehow come back and win the ball game and win the World Series and their crown champion. Major League Baseball will have to deal with the same thing throughout the throughout the winter and heading into spring training into the next season. They will have to deal with the same heat and the same amounts of criticism as the NFL did when the refs did not call a blatant, obvious pass interference and helmet to helmet. Two penalties in one play. They missed them both. With Nikel Robbie Coleman and I forget the um, the receiver for the Saints, but missed two calls on that one play in the NFC Championship game that, if were called, would have put the Saints half distance to the half distance to the goal. Saints would have kicked the field goal, and then the Saints would have been in the Super Bowl. Instead, the game is tied, goes overtime. Rams kick the field goal. Rams go to the Super Bowl. And he. And and that call is so big that maybe the Patriots don't even win the Super Bowl if that call is made. Who knows? Maybe the Saints go on to beat the Patriots. Maybe the Saints go into the Super Bowl and beat the Patriots. And the Patriots and the Patriots only have and the Patriots have five Super Bowls instead of six. But I digress. If Anthony Rendon does not hit that two-run home run to put the Nationals up. From one run up to three, if Anthony Rendon does not hit that home run, Major League Baseball would have been under significant, magnificent, huge criticism, especially if Houston comes behind and ties and wins the game. That is a joke, and I don't want to hear, and I, I don't want to hear any Astros apologists or anybody say anything. Okay, that was that is a horse crap call. That is that is one of the worst calls that you will ever, that you can that you can make. Whether it's by the letter of the law or not, you cannot under any circumstances call that in that situation in the seventh inning of a game of a deciding game six in the World Series. Again, it's not like that. Turner was running down the line and, and and took out Guriel, or a la the 2004 ALCS where A Rod running down the base pass and slaps Bronson Arroyo's slaps the ball out of Bronson Arroyo's hands. I can see that, but th- no. How in the world can you get called out for running in a straight line? Please explain to me that. Please explain to me how in God's name can you get called out for running in a straight line? And don't sit up here and tell me, well, he isn't in, he wasn't in that section. All right, fine. But all right, fine, whatever. But even if, if, if he's running out of that little box of, of, the, of that little box on the on the on the baseline, the fact that he moves over. At the last, I don't care if it was the last instance, he moved, the point is that before the ball gets there, he moves over. He moves, a, he veers a little, not by much, but he moves a little bit to the right 
before he steps on first base. So please don't don't get don't give me this crap about you know don't don't please and 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 the bigger disgrace is the fact that that play wasn't reviewable. It's a judgment. It's the judge. It's a judgment call made by the umpires, and it's not reviewable by the letter of the law. But the fact that the umpires went back and reviewed it when he had no business to reviewing it and still got the play wrong is an even bigger disgrace. Because you have this replay and this technology and these analytics and all these little dopey things that Major League Baseball puts up at your face to make you seem like that it's life or death. That, oh, look at us. We have, you know, analytics and launch angle and all this nonsense. And the fact that they couldn't get a simple call right in Game 6 of the World Series is an absolute joke. And again, Joe Torre. Manfred and whoever is the head of that umpire association and the uh, and the umpires of of uh, who who made the call I I give it their names Sam Holbrook Jim Wolf I I I'll get I'll get okay well so home, Wolf was the first base umpire and Holbrook was the home plate umpire that made the call so Sam Holbrook Jim Wolf Manfred and Tory and whoever is the head of the umpire association should give Anthony Rendon gifts from now until Anthony or they themselves pass on from this earth because they absolutely saved Major League Baseball's bacon for him to hit that two-run home run to put the Nationals up by three. Because if he does not hit that and the Nationals come back and win the game and win the series, Major League Baseball is in a hell of a lot of hot water. From the fan base, from, I mean, the call was so—I mean, the call was so egregious that Rendon hits the home run. The inning, the inning ends. Nationals up by two, and Martinez goes out in between innings and absolutely loses his mind. And that, and that and that was the first ejection in the World Series game since 1996 with Bobby Cox. But it was th- because it it honestly could have cost the Nationals the series, a championship. And 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 they honestly, Major League Baseball, Holbrook, uh, Holbrook, Wolf, really. Making a call like that in in Game Six of a uh, the a deciding Game Six in a World Series, you must be kidding me, you must. And then review it when, and then you go back and review it when by the letter of law you can't review it for you to go review it and then not. And then not change what's the obvious is an even bigger disgrace. And that's just the icing on the cake for the umpires who had a horrendous, piss-poor World Series. And don't get me started with the strike zone in games three, four, and games three, four, and five in Washington. Don't get me started with that. The same issue that the NFL has with their officials, Major League Baseball has with the umpires: accountability. Quit bending over and kissing these guys behind and wiping their behind and covering up their crap instead of letting their crap out there to be seen and, and, and saying, you know what, umpire like, like that will not be tolerated. You know what, we can't, we can't have you umpiring like this in, in, a champion, in a world championship series. 
you can't umpire like this. If it, you know, unless you you either straighten yourselves out or you're out. You're not umpiring a World Series game again. That's what Major League Baseball should do. Instead of bending over and kissing the umpires behind and always covering form and always covering that little every spill and their every little hitch and their every little mishap and 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 finding players and finding people and and, ha- and having issues with players calling out the umpires. How about Major League Baseball have the balls to sit up here and say, you know what, this this horse crap subpar egregious umpiring will not be tolerated, especially on the on the world national stage. That is the World Series. That cannot be tolerated. I don't need to see. I don't need to see umpires get involved in the game. Stay the heck out of the game. Let the players, let the managers, let the game produce the game. You just make sure that all the rules are maintained and followed. I said it with the Serena situation last September, and I said it with the Saint situation back in January. Nobody who is a sports fan. That gets that stays up to the wee hours of the night. I swear to God, nearly every game ended after twelve at after uh twelve o'clock Eastern time in the morning. No one stays up, no one stays up to the wee hours of the morning. No one gets in stadiums and freezes their rear ends off. No one who has who pays an arm and a leg, whether it be trap, whether it be for the travel, whether it be for the whether it be for the tickets themselves, whatever the case might be, or even or just or just as the cable bill, no one pays an arm and leg to watch these games. No one stays up. No one stays up late in the wee hours of the morning to watch these games for the umpires to butt in and interject with what's going on on the field. No, no, no sports fan that I know wants to see that. Let let me enjoy the ball game for the product that's going on on the field between the two competitors. You're the official. Your job is to officiate and make sure the game is is uh, is is um has gone about fairly and that and that uh, every rule is followed and to make sure that no rules are violated. That is your job. Your job is not is not to butt in and interrupt a classic baseball game and a classic World Series because because God forbid Trey Turner runs about I don't know 3 you know about a foot outside of the of the quote unquote baseline. Get your hind parts out of the game. Let us enjoy the participants on the field. Stay out of it, please. Stay out of it. And I and I and I, and I tell you another thing that 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 grind my gears. Can Kate Upton shut up? Can Kate Upton shut up? This is the same moron that told us that swore to us. Up and down about the about the fan interference call in the early innings of uh, Game Five and Game Six of the ALCS against Boston, getting on all over Joe West and everybody else. Shut up, please. I I don't need to hear you moan and groan about about the first of all she doesn't even know the rules. He she sits here and tweets out he wasn't in the base path, base path. Those who don't know the rule you have to run inside the two lines, which is a false truth to begin with anyway because if you look Trey Turner is literally walking is running parallel to the inside line of the base path, you stupid idiot. 
You don't have to run in the direct path. You can either you can choose a line. Trey Turner chose the inside line. Why? Because he is fast and he wants to get down the bases and touch the bit and touch the first base. That's why. She doesn't even know the rules. How in the world do you get called out for running in a straight line? And it wasn't like that he touched or interfered with Guriel. Guriel puts his glove out in front of Turner to have Turner purposely run into his hand to make it seem like that he, that he interfered with the, with the ball coming towards first base. Can she shut up? Honestly, can what what you think because you're married to Justin Verlander, you're married to a major baseball player, you all of a sudden you're an expert? Shut up. Give me a break. And the and the same re, and the same reason why she didn't have a leg to stand on with the Boston series last year because the Astros had had circumstance and had and had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to overcome that fan interference call and they didn't. Same instance here with the Astros. Instead of being so concerned about about rules and umpires doing their job, how about you shut how about you shut up, Kate Upton, and tell your husband why in God's name is he 0-6 in World Series starts? And please and, and while you're at it, please explain to me please explain to me how he lets please explain to me how he lets Adam Eaton how he allows Adam Eaton and, and Juan Soto to hit home runs off of him in the eight in the fifth inning that allows the Nationals to get right back into the game. In a game six win or go home scenario, please explain to me why your dopey, overrated husband, who everyone swears swears up and down that he's the next Nolan Ryan for Cronulla. Explain to me why he went 0-2 in this series and is a career lifetime. 0-6 in the Fall Classic. Explain to me that. And the one game and the one game that the Astros have won one World Series game when he started. One. And he didn't even get the win. He got a no decision in that game five against the Dodgers that went 11 innings. That was four hours and 30 minutes long where you Darvish and, and Kershaw vomited all over themselves. Oh, and six lifetime in the World Series. Went five innings, gave up five runs, three hits, and two home runs, and walked three. But yet she's so overly concerned about Major League Baseball and the umpires and what and what the job is, and not and not even getting the freaking rules right before she tweets off thinking that thinking that she's you know thinking that she's um uh, thinking thinking that you know thinking that she's baseball's all time expert. Shut up and give me a break. How about you? How about you know the rules? Okay, I know the rules. Okay, I've been watching baseball for about for f- around close to fifteen years. I know baseball. Okay, I was sitting there in the stadium when your hubby stunk up the joint against my Baltimore Orioles in Game Two of the ALDS. You, my friend, were nowhere to be seen. Nowhere. I'm so I'm so sick of hearing her mouth and and Justin Verlander. Both of you all shut up and go away. Just get out of my face, please. Cause you all both cause you all both are a bunch of a bunch of annoying pieces of you know what. But all is both is enough.
I'm sick of hearing Verlander as if he's the second coming to to Nolan Ryan. And I'm so sick of Kate Upton having to open up her mouth any single time there's an umpiring discrepancy in a game that her husband so happens to pitch in. Because quite frankly, when it comes to baseball, she doesn't know her ass from her elbow. And that is fact. What do you think? What do you think? Because you sleep with Justin Verlander, all of a sudden you th- all of a sudden you think you know baseball? You give me a break. You went you don't know baseball from softball. And don't give me this garbage just because she's a woman. No, be- no, it's because she has no idea what the hell she's talking about. My mother, my grandmother, and people that make live that make a living on MLB Network and, and uh, MLB Network and ESPN. And the ones who write about it for a living and, and talk about it and cover it for a living, those are your women that know baseball. She does not. So so don't so don't even don't even give me don't even go there with me. So I get my mother on here right now and she can break down a 1979 World Series between the Orioles and the Cardinals. She could not. And it ain't just because she was born in 1992. I was born in 2002 and can break down the 86 World Series between the Red Sox and the Mets. And those of you listening and those of you who know me know good and damn well I can too. Kate Upton, shut up, okay? You don't know the rules, just please. We, we, think, we think you invented baseball all of a sudden because you're married to Justin Verlander. Shut up and pipe down. Be more concerned about how your hubby is old and six in postseason games instead of worrying about Major League Baseball doing their job. God, that bothered me. And oh, by the way, you and also and oh, by the way, how about you be more concerned about your about uh, your hubby's teammates uh, going going a collective, oh, leaving a collective. Uh, excuse me, leaving a collective. He they left six guys on base in game set. They left um they left ten guys on base. Please explain to me why you're at it, Kate. Please explain to me why your hubby's teammates, your hubby's counterparts left a combined 16 guys on base in game 6 and 7. A combined 16 guys on base. 16. Not 6, not 3, but 16 guys on base. And went 1 for 8 with runs in scoring position in game 7. I left 10 on base in game 7. Please explain to me that. God, did that bother me? And while you're at, and and last thing and one other thing, and then take a break, and I'll get and I'll get to the football. Also, while you're at it, tell your hubby's boss AJ Hinch to get his to get his hands out of his ass and to quit worrying about matchup and righty lefty and all this garbage nonsense. When Zach Grinky went six and a third, gave up two hits, two runs, and. Uh, it gave up two hits and two runs, went six and a third. Tell your tell your hubby's boss, uh, AJ Hinch, to get his head from in between his legs and ask him why in God's name did he take Zach Grinky out in the eighth inning to put in Will Harris, who did nothing but spit the bit and practically gave the Nationals the game. Gave them the game. My gosh. Anthony Rendon, Anthony Rendon hit a solo homer off of Granky in the same thing with one out. We'll all live. Gee whiz, you take Granky out the ball game for that for that awful bullpen, Harris, Harrison, Osuna. And Joe Smith. Give me a break. 
Anyway, that's enough of that. Take a break. All NFL. Rest of the show. Back after this. Metallica TIS podcast. Switching gears now to the NFL for the rest of the program. Um, first things first, before I get to the Browns spitting the bit against the Patriots last Sunday and Adam Vinatieri needs to retire and the Bears and Jets and anything else, uh, I share a story with you all. So, as you all know, maybe you don't, but I'll tell you anyway, uh, the New Orleans Saints, of course, are on their bye week. Uh, and Saints, of course, signed an undrafted uh, rookie free agent uh, by the name of Deontay Harris, who was who is uh, who, believe it or not, is a graduate of the high school that I currently attend. That is Archbishop Curley High School here in Baltimore. Yours truly, like I said, from uh, Archbishop Curley High School. He is a Bal- he is a Baltimorean, uh, played college football at Assumption College in Worcester, Massachusetts, and made the Saints team over the uh, training camp as a uh, as a wide receiver and a kick and a uh, return specialist. Uh, so the Saints are on their bye week, and I'm sitting there eating lunch at ten thirty in the morning. Why and it's not just my school, but schools all over America. Why they make us eat lunch at ten thirty in the morning? We have these long days, especially me that is football practice at from from uh, from three thirty to six. Eat lunch at ten thirty in the morning does nothing does nothing for me. Does absolutely nothing for me. But 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 be that as it may. So I'm sitting there I'm eating lunch. And my principal, who excuse me, my vice principal, who was there for, uh, who's you know he was the lunch proctor in the lunchroom, he walks by and he tells me he tells me he's like, Deontay Harris, Deontay Harris is in, is in the weight is in the fitness center is like in the weight room. I was like, oh, are you kidding me? I was I was like, nah. It's like yeah, he's 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 messing with me, uh, and he was like, no, really, he's in it. So I get up. I run down to to the uh, I run down to the fitness center, and lo and, be- and I walk into the training and I walk into the trainer's room, and lo and behold, Saints player Deontay Harris, who had his first career kick, uh, first career uh, touchdown return against the Seahawks back in September twenty second, which. Uh, 
which before the Ravens game was the Seahawks' only loss of the season at the time. And so I was familiar with him that, you know, I saw him tick take back a kick against the Jets in the preseason. So I was aware of the story. So that's why I was kinda like kind of excited to go down there. And so anyway, so I go down there and lo and behold it's him. So I I let him talk to anybody who's going you know, let let him yeah, I work I wait patiently, wait till he gets to me or whatever. And so I see him. I dap, I dap him up. I was like, hey, Deontay, nice to meet you. I'm Josh Shields, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I told him, and I and then, we, you know, we started talking. He's a nice guy, 5'6". And I, so he's he's 5'6". I'm, what, 6'2". So, you know, he he's the better athlete, of course. But I, but the thing I have him on is the height because he's, you know, he's 5'6". He's 5'6", and a grown man. I'm 6'2". You know, in my late in my late stages of my teenage life, so so you know, I'm talking. He was a, he was a real great guy. Who, and when I talked to him for a little bit, so I'm talking to him. I'm talking. To him, I was like, "Yeah, Saints." But I was like, I, I told him, I was like, "Hey, I predicted," and I, and and y'all know it wasn't because he was on a team, but I predicted the Saints. You go back and look back in September. I predicted the Saints to go to the Super Bowl. And I told him it was because you know it was because that the team hasn't gotten as much media attention as it did last year. They're kind of flying below the radar. They're not really doing saying a lot of things that warrant attention. Not not bad attention, but attention that they had, that they had gotten last year. They have a vendetta against the not against the league because they got screwed in in the NFC Championship game against the Rams. You know they they you know they're kind of out for, they're kind of out for vengeance and I told him I said I I think you got you guys gonna do with Drew Brees sitting there I told him defense just really played well under Bridgewater which it has and just the team in general and Brees when Brees comes back it's only gonna make them better which he I mean he's came back he absolutely lit up the Buccaneers last week but or the excuse me the uh, the Arizona Cardinals last week but you know so I told him. I, and then he he said something funny. I told him like he was like I told him saying I had the Saints going to the Super Bowl. He was like smart man, you know. So we laughed and everything else, and and I knew I was like this. And I was, and I put two and two together. I'm like, okay, I have a I have a professional athlete, NFL player that plays on a good football team. That's that's pretty good, you know. New Orleans, you know, and he himself is a, is a it was a very nice return man for the Saints. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, this could be my first ever pro athlete I could get on on my podcast. So, I'm sitting, I was like, I got it. And I, luckily, I had my phone on me. Because if I didn't have my phone, because I, if I didn't have my phone on me for me to get a little voice recording, I'm like, the whole thing's finished. And I can't leave and they can come back. So I honestly had to keep, you know, it's just like, it's like when you have a little kid, you know, you got to make sure you keep that little kid in your sight to make sure that he didn't wander off somewhere. But, so I'm sitting there, and I, and I tell him, I said, hey, I got sports, po- I'm trying to be a sportscaster, you know, I got this podcast show, I'm going to show them the, the show's Twitter page, and I was like, all right, cool. He's like, you mind if I ask you a couple quick, you know, five minutes, then I did I'm just like, cool, 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 which I didn't honestly expect. And then, so then I get to the introduction, and lo and behold, he, 90 people come swarming in into the fitness center to take pictures with him. 
And then, so then he goes in and then starts taking pictures. You don't get, the, I don't get the interview done. Uh, but I took a, I took a couple pictures with him. He took a team picture of me and my football teammates on Thursday. But lo and behold, I don't, for my first actual chance that was gift wrapped and presented to me on a silver platter for me to get a professional athlete on the show. I can't get them because 90 million people that that don't even know where New Orleans is on a map, let alone let alone the history of the New Orleans Saints franchise as a whole, come swarming in because they need to get a picture with Deontay Harris and half of them against you couldn't even spell Deontay and like and the other half of them probably couldn't tell you, you know, couldn't tell you uh when he's when he when and if he scored his uh his first touchdown in the NFL already so so I had a perfectly good opportunity for me to get it, for me to get an athlete on the show and bird flew to coop but hey I mean what, what can you do the important thing is, is that I met him and I got a picture with him and it's up on my Twitter page at the J Shield if you want to go ahead and check that out so I had to get that on the board while the Saints are on their bye week this week. Uh, but let's switch gears now to the NFL uh, stuff that's happening on the field. And let's begin first with the Cleveland Browns, who once again uh, peed their pants against the, against the New England Patriots last week. Uh, Baker Mayfield once again uh, having a piss-poor season uh, by his standards. He and the he and the uh, Browns lost to the Patriots, uh, twenty-seven to thirteen on um last on um uh, last Sunday. The Patriots they they allowed the Patriots to score seventeen unanswered points in the in the first quarter. Baker Mayfield turned over. Baker Mayfield, uh, Nick Chubb and Baker Mayfield. They both had a little bit of a I don't know what the heck that was, but they Nick Chubb fumbled the ball twice, uh, and then they also had like that weird handoff scenario where Baker Mayfield meant to pump. It was all miscombobulated. Baker Mayfield himself, twenty for thirty-one, one hundred ninety-four passing yards, a touchdown, one interception. Not going to get it done, of course. He leads the league in interceptions with twelve. When last year I believe he only threw fourteen all year. He leads the league in interceptions with 12 at the time after this uh, Cleveland game. The Browns absolutely pissed all over themselves, especially in the fourth quarter. Gave the Patriots every every and any break known to man. I mean, dropping muffin punts. Uh, not muffin punts, but fumbling the football. Baker Mayfield interceptions, not running the right way. You know, stupid penalties. I mean, whatever the case might be, the Cleveland Browns absolutely shot themselves in the foot and absolutely laid a complete fat egg once again against the New England Patriots and and Tom Brady and the boys on the road. They have an easy schedule to to end out the season, so they should finish at nine at a nine and seven. Right now they're at two and five, but that means that the Browns don't have any margin for error. 
the rest of the season. And what this really proves is that Freddie Kitchens absolutely had no business being the head coach of the Cleveland Browns because this is a complete three-ring circus. He lets Odell walk, you know, he lets Odell go crazy, moaning and groaning about him not getting the ball enough and him and him crying a river about wearing a stupid thir- uh, three, uh, excuse me, that stupid six grand worth watch. You got Bacon Mayfield acting like a man child, not talking to the media, talking about a sense of urgency. Well, Baker, if you don't want the media to question you, you sense of urgency, how about you not turn over the football and and put up maybe more than one touchdown pass a game? Then the media, then because honestly, you're open though it's for to for you to the media towards you you are the gazelle and they are the lion it is open season on your hind parts especially because you went on every media platform and on twitter and everyone and browns fans all over the place went ad infinite and went on and on and on and on and on about how well the browns are going to be how things have changed how we're a lot to win a division some of you crazy morons went as far as them going to the super bowl which is the most asinine prediction in the in the in the one month two to in the one year two month history of the Amatel I can tell you his podcast of comp- I mean what in the world you guys were smoking I have no idea but nevertheless you go Baker Mayfield Kitchens everybody involved with the Cleveland Browns has done nothing but spit the bit and absolutely laid a complete fat egg so far in the 2019 season they're two and five halfway through the season and they don't have any margin for error any 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 and so far in the Bronco game, at the time I'm recording this, they're losing 17-9 to the Denver Broncos. They just put Joe Flacco on IR for crying out loud. They have a fert, they have a quarterback that they got off the streets and Brandon Allen. Who, what, yeah, Brandon Allen making his first ever career NFL start who, was, who essentially looks like John Elway the way this Cleveland Browns defense has played. Bacon Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is 9 for 16 and 91, with 91 yards. And 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 the Browns really have not gotten anything going on offense. So we give so we say it so we give that so that is item number two. Item number three is Adam Vinatieri needs to retire, uh, and bef- and soon because it's going because it's looking like a very very ugly year, ugly year, and ugly ending to his career for the three time Super Bowl champion, uh, formerly of the New England Patriots. He's missed five field goals this season, more than all of 2018. He's 70.5. His field goal percentage is a career low at 70.5. He's on pace to miss 10 field goals, which should be a career high. Adam Vinatieri has not looked like himself at all this NFL. Outside of that, outside of a, uh, outside of a, uh, the game-winning kick he made last week. He has not at all looked like the greatest clutch, the most clutch, greatest Hall of Fame first ballot field goal place kicker we've ever seen. He's he's looked very Blair Walsh, uh, Billy Cundiff like this season, the 2019 NFL season. And I think if I'm an inventory, I got to think about hanging it up before my before my career basically gets tarnished because of my poor play. As I've gotten up in age, he's already play. What? How old is he? Like forty-five, something like that. He Adam Adam has to Adam has to put life and put his career into perspective because it is not looking like a pretty nice uh, fairy tale 
uh, walk. He's 46. So, but it's not looking like a great ending, a great uh, walk into the sunset, or excuse me, riding into the sunset ending for the three-time Super Bowl champion. And, and, uh, and uh, excuse me, what, is it three or is it four? It's four. He won, he won, he won in 2006 with the Colts, but for the four-time Super Bowl champion, who's, going, who's bound to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and it not looks pretty. Adam Vinatieri and he ought to hang it up before uh, it, before it's too late. the the uh, the Chicago Bears are an absolute disgrace. Uh, Matt Nagy, why in God's name he decided to take a knee uh, with forty six seconds left, going up against the the uh, Los Angeles Char- Chargers that find new ways to lose ball, that invent and find new ways to lose ball games. I will never understand. And Eddie Pinheiro hits, you know, hits the crossbar wide left. The Bears lose that game. They go to Philadelphia. Philadelphia was four and four. Backs up against the wall, and in a sense, it gives gives uh, the Eagles new hope as the Eagles won twenty two to fourteen earlier today. Mr. Biscuit, who is just as much to blame as Matt Nagy for their piss poor play, sitting here at three and five at the halfway point in the season. Trubisky was ten for twenty one with one hundred and twenty five. I mean, honest to God. Matt, can you please? I don't. I. I don't even know what the Bears anymore. They have. A, they. They stole Khalil Mack. I mean, it, it's a heist. It's. It was an absolute heist that they got Khalil Mack from John Gruden and the Oakland Raiders, and outside of going twelve and four and winning the division last year, they've done nothing with him. They're sitting here three and five at the halfway point in the season, and they're wasting the generational talent on defense that is Khalil Mack because Mitchell Trubisky, who can't throw a foot, who who struggles with the forward pass, who can't play a competent football game if if the fate of the universe depended on it, is sitting here going ten for twenty one for four hundred twenty five yards. Again, what quarterback? And I, you you all love to like not not you all, but. You know, people are like, well, they love the, especially the draft analysts and all these other morons that wouldn't know good talent if it hit them in the face. But, I mean, go on and on and on about Mitch Trubisky. I mean, give me a break. Here's all you need to know about Mitch Trubisky. What Hall of Fame quarterback you know has come out of the University of North Carolina? This is foot. I said the same thing about Daniel Jones, who came out of Duke. Duke and, and North Carolina Greensboro are... Or excuse me, Chapel Hill. Though those two, those two North Carolinian North Carolinian colleges are 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 good are good for two sports. If you're an athlete going to that school, two sports. And that's lacrosse. That's lacrosse and basketball. If you ain't playing lacrosse, or if you ain't trying to go into the NBA, you and you you're and you and football is your thing. You're wasting your time to look at those two schools. And if you're a scout trying to draft a franchise quarterback. To to uplift your team and to get you a couple championships, you're wasting your time looking at North Carolina and Duke with Daniel Jones, because because in a hundred year history in the National Football League, what Hall of Fame quarterback you know and you can name off the top of your head, or Super Bowl winning quarterback for that matter, that has gone to the University of North Carolina and or Duke University. I'll, I'll wait. That's all you need to know. So the bear, so the Bears stink. Uh, sitting at three and five, you know they they stink. This is going to be a two team race between the Vikings and the Packers. It looks like, even though the Vikings lost earlier today by field goal to the Kansas City Chiefs, they're sitting at five and three. 
But this looks like it's going to be a two-team race between the Packers and the um, and the uh, and the Vikings in the remain in the, in these last two remaining months of the 2019 NFL regular season. Uh, the Jets hit rock bottom earlier today. Uh, not only did they lose last week, get absolutely embarrassed by the New England Patriots on Monday Night Football, but they. But they lost to the hapless, at the time, winless Miami Dolphins today by a final score of 20-26-18. Allowing the Dolphins win their first game since week 14 of 2018, which I believe was the uh, Miami Miracle uh, game when they came back and beat the Patriots. But but nevertheless, a loss is a loss. Uh, Sam Darnold, who looked like Joe Namath, in the uh, in the Cowboy game not too many weeks ago, went 27 for 39 with 260 passing yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Le'Veon Bell looked looked uh, was very meh. 17 carries, 66 yards. Offensive line is a joke. Defense is a joke. The entire team is a joke. The Jets should just should the Jets should just delete the franchise because they, I mean, losing to the winless tanking Miami Dolphins <laughs> if that isn't an embarrassment I don't know what is but nevertheless the Jets walk out of Miami with a loss take a break touch on my Bengals oh lord the Bengals touch on them and Andy Dalton getting benched on his birthday no less right after this Welcome back to Metallica TIA's podcast. Switching gears now to the hapless, pathetic, dream-killing, soul-crushing Cincinnati Bengals. Well, since well, the silver lining out of all of the out of the fact that the Bengals are zero eight is the fact that this week the Cincinnati Bungles had a bye week this week, so. I haven't had to go crazy and yell and scream and pull my hair out and get upset and get all emotional because of the fact that those that sorry bunch of losers had a bye week this week. So they spare me for one week and then they will play the Ravens on next Sunday and get ran out the building 44 to nothing by Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. But... I bring them up, and I really didn't want to bring them up in the show today. But I had no choice after my team benched starting quarterback Andy Dalton, who has yet to win a playoff game, hasn't played in one since the 2014 playoff game against the Indianapolis Colts, where he and the Bungles spit the bit. Uh, He's yet to win a playoff game. He's absolutely dog crap of this season he even though he I be, even though I believe he's still top 10 in the league in passing yards I could care less I don't want to hear it the bottom line is that as a the bottom line is in his career Andy Dalton has he, he has a QBR of 88 but no one and no one who's a Bengals fan gives a crap about the fact that his QBR is 88 he's thrown for over 300,000 passing yards 
and he's three touchdown passes shy of of a three of a, excuse me of two hundred career passing touchdowns. What we care about is the fact that the Bengals are zero and eight this football season. What we care about is the fact that every football game this man has ever played, it's resulted in a loss. That's what we care about. We care about the we care about the fact that he. We care about the fa- we care about the fact that it, that he that he that we care about the fact that he can't win that he's winless on Sunday night football. We care about the fact that he stinks on Monday night football, and we care about the fact that he is terrible. That is what me and all of the other Bengals fans that aren't afraid that aren't afraid to call it like we see it. That and and aren't and aren't afraid to ruffle you know a couple people's feathers. That is what it is, okay. That is what it is. He has done nothing for this th- outside of a couple of division titles, and you know outside of a couple of division titles and winning seasons. I mean, Carson Palmer did that. I mean, th- I mean Ken Kenny Anderson took us to the Super Bowl in nineteen eighty one, and Boomer Sison took us to the Super Bowl in nineteen eighty eight. Andy, what no one gives a crap about the fact that Andy Dalton is top ten in the league in passing yards. I don't care. You don't care. Bengals fans don't care. Doesn't matter because we are still winless at the halfway point in the season. He he is. He's had he's thrown for nine touchdowns and eight interceptions on the season. Andy Dalton is no scrub, but he but he is no Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Philip Rivers either. He or even if you can even count Philip Rivers because he hasn't had so so much so good of a season himself. But that's besides the point. The Bengals decided to bench him early in the week on his birthday, no less, which is which is funny and also classless on the Bengals side of things. They are just a worthless. I mean, calling the Cincinnati Bengals a dumpster fire is, is a, is a insult to dumpster fires. I mean, they are just an absolute joke, an absolute laughing stock, an absolute mockery of a professional football team. Mike Brown needs to either do one or two things: sell the team, or just die. And I know that sounds cruel, and I know that sounds harsh, but he, but he isn't. He isn't worth a. He isn't worth a scab on the back of my ass. He is. He is the worst owner in all of the NFL. He's worse than Dean Spanos. He's worse than Mark Davis. He's worse than Stan Kroenke. He's worse than Dan Snyder. Cause at least Dan Snyder tries to make a red tries to make the Redskins a winning and respectable organization year in and year out. At least he tries. He drafted Dwayne Haskins in the draft. At least he tries. He he isn't afraid to go out and spend money in free agency. He tries. He's a he's a terrible he's a terrible owner and not that much great a guy either. But at least you can you can look at Dan Snyder and say, ah he 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 thought he thought this he thought this would work, but it didn't. Josh Norman signing perfect example. Spit the bit against the Bills today, but he signed him when he was fresh off a of Super Bowl season. It didn't work out, but you you he's but you can understand him. 
he he tr- he at least at least he goes out and tries. You know, Dan Snyder can be fixed. Mike Brown cannot. Mike Brown cannot. When you are that up in old age and you have and you are that set in your ways, you cannot just change. Especially an old person, you can't. They can't change. You can't expect them to change at the drop of a hat, at the snap of a finger. He's finished. He and that entire dopey pieces, no good, no good, worthless family. They're all a bunch of nothings. They're all worthless, and they're all a bunch of useless, greedy uh, pieces of crap. That's all they are. From from Mike Brown to the daughter to the son-in-law, all of them. The Browns slash Blackburns, all of them. You know what? You know what they all can do. And I'ma say it, and I'ma say it without fear of contradiction, and I, I'ma say it. And I don't care if it sounds politically incorrect, or if it sounds harsh, or or if it, or if you guys don't like it. I don't care. You know what Katie Blackburn, your husband, and Mike Brown can all do. You know what you know what you three can do. Go to hell and burn at the right hand of Adolf Hitler. And the devil. Go burn in hell. Seriously. Because I am so sick and freaking tired of having to look at this sorry pieces of crap day in and day out and game after game and season after season continuously putting this garbage, stupid, worthless pieces of crap on the field. The reason the Bengals are 0-8 is not because of Zach Taylor. It's not because of the defensive coordinator. It's and it's not all of these from Zach Taylor and all and the rest of his coaching staff. They aren't involved in this. They aren't involved in this. It is not their fault that they are 0-8. It is not. Because quite frankly. What the hell can you do with this garbage roster? What can you do? This is a Marvin Lewis roster coached by a guy that isn't Marvin Lewis. What do you think was going to happen? Marvin Lewis coaches this sorry bunch. They're 6-10. and 10. Zach Taylor coaches them. It's 0-8. It's not an indictment on Zach Taylor. It's an indictment on the fact that the, that the team and that the roster stinks. And bottom line is, like, and it's been a trend. It's been a trend that's followed the Bengals since AJ Green got drafted in 2011. When he ain't on the team, the Bengals flat out do not win. He is their best player on the team, and when he is not on the field playing, the Bengals do not win. They don't. They haven't, and they will continue to not win, because quite frankly. The roster is just so is just that terrible that if I'm AJ Green, I'm sitting out the rest of the season. I'm gonna try to see if I can negotiate a contract extension. If if by for whatever reason I want to stay with this crappy organization the rest of my life, or I'm a test free agency and see if there's a team out there, whether it be the Patriots, the Cowboys, the Packers, the Ravens, whoever it might be. Is going is going to pay me for my services. Because quite frankly, I love AJ Green. He, along with Chad Johnson, are one of my two most favorite Bengals of all time. 
But if he walks, I won't feel anything. I won't feel joy and I won't feel sadness. Because quite frankly, AJ, AJ Green deserves to be on a football team that cares. He deserves to be on a football team that wins. He deserves to be on a football team that's owner. Give, gives, gives, gives a crap about the product that they put out onto the field. He deserves that. Because AJ Green is a phenomenal human being who unlike... Odell and unlike all the other D and unlike Antonio Brown and all the other diva emotional emo wide receivers out there, they keep their head down, they keep their mouths shut, they bite the bullet, and they go out and they handle their business. They don't attract a lot of attention. They do, they they don't go out and be extra and be. And, and and do all that extra stupid stuff that A B and Odell are, are notorious for. They don't wear th- uh th- six figure watches on a football field. They don't they don't whine and cry and about a dopey helmet. They don't stupidly get them get themselves frost b- bit in the feet. They they you know they they don't have fits with with the kicking net on the sideline. They don't get into personal battles outside of Jalen Ramsey, but he doesn't get into personal battles with with opposing cornerbacks, getting in, getting into fist fights and and launching themselves at at other players as if they're a, as if they're a missile. He doesn't do any of that. He keeps his head down, he keeps his mouth shut, and he is about his business. And if you are a team in the National Football League. AJ Green is a must-have guy in your to have in your locker room. The only downside about him is that he can't keep himself healthy if the fate of the universe depended on it. But when he's healthy and when he's out on that football field, he makes your team better. And quite frankly, AJ Green, who I love and I would love to see him be a Bengal, but it'd be but it'd be pretty stupid. To a certain degree, it'd be pretty stupid on his part to stay up to to want to stay a part of this trashy garbage horse crap organization for years to come, because the owner does not care. The owner's daughter, who and son-in-law, who both have who both have positions in the organization, obviously don't care. We don't have a giant. We are the only team in the league that doesn't have or well, outside of the. Outside of the Cowboys because Jerry likes to run everything. But that again. But here's another thing. That I'm glad I brought that up. Here's the thing about Mike Brown that also bothers you. He makes one media appearance every year. And that's before and that's before the season starts. He doesn't talk to He doesn't do nothing. Makes one media appearance every year. One. Cowboys lose the game. You hear Jerry Jones right after the game. He, I mean, he he's surrounded by the media as if, as if he was a coach or a player or something. You hear Jerry Jones every every game. You hear Arthur Blank every game. Robert Kraft, not as often, but you hear Kraft during the season. Mike Brown meets with the media once. Why? Because he does not have the balls or the courage or just the the 
the testosterone in his old body to face the music and answer questions and to be held accountable for this horse crap, disgusting garbage that he has put on the field. And it's n- and this organization, it's not it's not Zach Taylor's fault. It's not Andy Dalton's fault. Even though Andy Dalton, again, Andy Dalton, I agree with the benching. I don't like the way the Bengals have did it, and neither, and he doesn't either. Which is something that also needs to be addressed. But again, it's not Carson Palmer. It's not Andy Dalton. It's not Marvin Lewis. It's not Zach Taylor. It's not Jeremy Hill. It's not Chad Johnson. It's not Mohamed Sanu. It's not Marvin Jones. It's not Andrew Whitworth. It's not Vontez Perfect. It's not Adam Pacman Jones. The reason why the Bengals are 0-8 and have not played in the Super Bowl in 30 years and have not won a playoff game since 1990. The main sole reason why this team is in the toilet and is a laughing stock as a as a as disguising themselves as a football team. The one reason why that is is because of one man. Mike Brown. Do you think Mike Brown's father would tolerate and put up with this crap and would and would tolerate and put up with this nonsense? The answer is no. Again, Mike Brown, your daughter, your son-in-law, all of us, go burn in hell. And the sooner, the better. Because of my patience with this sorry bunch is wearing paper paper thin I can not take it anymore I would like before I die and before my spirit goes up to be with the Lord and all and all of the people that so ever believe in him that have everlasting life I would like to see the Bengals first win a playoff game and second Win the Super Bowl before either I die or the world comes to an end. I would like to see that, please. I shouldn't have to root for an old man's death for me, for me, in order for it to happen. But he put it on himself. Okay, the city of Cincinnati is woke to his foolishness. Ain't no one coming to Bengals games. And I applaud all those Bengals for the same reason why, the same thing why I applauded the Orioles fans back in the summer. I'm applauding the Bengals fans here now. Because if you hit them in their pocketbook, if you hit them in their wallet, their hearts will follow. And if Mike Brown is such a soulless piece of crap, 
that he doesn't change his ways when he sees that his wallet and his pocketbook is affecting is being affected because of the fact that he doesn't give a damn about what goes on on the football field, then Roger Goodell and all the other owners should step in and save the Bengals before Mike Brown ruins them. Before Mike Brown puts this team in so much of a hole that this will be an unsavable franchise. And it will be damned to NFL hell from that, from whenever that, from whenever it might be, till the league either folds or the world ends. Because if Mike Brown does not change, and if either he doesn't change, or if they don't sell, and it's and it, and the chances of him changing is slim to none. Like I said, old stubborn people like that, they never ever change, never have, and they never will. So either. Someone better get in his ear and tell him to sell the team or to step down and give authority to to his, you know, just get him away from the organization. Or the league needs to step in and save the Bengals before Mike Brown ruins them for, for forever. Because this is a joke and doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The trade deadline comes and goes. And I got the owner and his family. And without it, mind you, they are the GM. They, they are the quote-unquote general managers of the football team. And the trade deadline comes and goes. When you benched your quarterback, your starting quarterback that's, that's reigned the helps since 2011, and you have a star wide receiver that hasn't played all year, and you're 0 8. You, you let the trade deadline come and go while you, while you all sit up there and have the tenacity, the audacity. And the undermitigated gall to sit up there in Switzerland. You all honestly sit up there and have the nerve to vacation in Switzerland. When there's an NFL trading deadline, you're 0-8 and you have two valuable trading assets. Quite frankly, your entire roster is trading assets. And you sit back in Switzerland and do nothing. All of you all should be absolutely ashamed of yourselves. Because these football players put their heart and soul into trying to win these football games and to try to win a championship. In a sense, and these fans pay good money parking and PSLs and cable bills and gas money and everything else because they are dedicated and they love the franchise that you, that your daddy started and essentially what you do is pull down your pants take out your old shriveled up wiener and piss all over the Bengals fan base and all over the Bengals players because quite frankly, you do not give a rat's ass 
about this team and about this franchise and about its fan base. This isn't even about Andy Dalton or Marvin Lewis or Zach Taylor. This is about Mike Brown. Ineptitude, when it when it comes to businesses being in, being stuck in ineptitude and businesses failing, it go, it starts from the top, and works its way down. And at the top of the totem pole is Mike Brown, who is like I said one more time, the worst owner in the NFL. And if A.J. Green wants to win a championship, if he plans on winning a championship, I suggest he heal up, sit out the season, and test free agency come February, March of 2020. Because he sure as hell ain't winning a damn thing as a member of the Cincinnati Bengals with Mike Brown as the owner. Because he flat out does not care. He doesn't care. And the fact of the matter of it is, if he, and if he just doesn't care, and if he's just using this as his cash out just to make money, shame on him. Shame on his daughter and shame on his uh, shame on his son-in-law. Because all of you should be wanted by the FBI for theft. For theft. Running a franchise into the ground for your own personal financial benefit. And it ain't even really that much of a benefit because you lose money the worse and worse the team gets. Because your attendance goes down and your sales, your product go down and your sales and your ticket sales go down and everything else. I, I don't, I'm sick of looking on the internet and looking at memes of people giving Bengals tickets and trick-or-treat bags and reading, those are some sick parents. I'm sick of going to school and being ridiculed not me personally, but being ridiculed and made fun of, of the fact that my football team is 0-8 at the halfway point of the season. I hate being ridiculed and made fun of because of the fact that my friend, that my favorite football team hasn't been in a championship in 30 years. Hasn't won a playoff game in 28, 28 29 years. And is yet to win a ch- and is yet to win a Super Bowl. I'm sick of it and I'm tired of it. This is a disgrace. It is an absolute disgrace. And if and the NFL and Goodell ought to wake up, smell the coffee, and take heed what's going on. And if Goodell doesn't do it, the next commissioner should step in and fix this run into the ground, dysfunctional, disgusting, pathetic 
egregious football team. Because quite frankly, the the failure of this team is not because Carson Palmer sprained an ankle or Jeremy Hill fumbling a football. It's because that man, Mike Brown, has ran this team into the ground and essentially does not care. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about any of the other Bengals fans out there. He simply does not care. You don't have an indoor practice facility. We don't, you know, I mean, and that's just the beginning. Not having an indoor practice facility. No indoor practice facility. Took forever to fire Marvin Lewis. You simply do not care. And if the NFL had any guts, and the NFL wants to show me guts, and wants to show me that then wants to show me that they care about its fan base and about its sport. I suggest Goodell and whoever it might be up in Park Avenue, I think, is where the NFL headquarters are in New York. All of them ought to step up to Mike Brown and force him, force him to sell the team, or he will face the major major consequences and what those consequences be I don't know but for the love of God get him the hell out of Cincinnati and save this team before it's too late because my patience is running paper thin paper 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 take a break Sunday night game of the year I would think between the Patriots and the Ravens I'll talk about that preview that and pick that game right after this Welcome back to the Mattel Like a TIS podcast. Switching gears now, last segment of the program Patriots and Ravens. 
This is a team, this is actually, this is on Sunday football later tonight, uh, the best game of the weekend as far as I'm concerned. The undefeated 5-0 New England Patriots going up against the, uh, what are they, 5-2 and two or are they 5-3? and three? Five, The 5, thank you, the 5-2 and two, uh, Baltimore Ravens. Uh, the Ravens are 10-0 and 0 at home in primetime games since 2011. This is a team that is very, very difficult to beat at home in primetime. Uh, they're going up against the New England Patriots, who, like I said, 8-0, coming off of a win against the Cleveland Browns. Meanwhile, the Ravens are coming off of a bye week, and in the previous week, they beat, they had an impressive victory against the Seattle Seahawks. And how in the, and how in the world is... Uh, the Seahawks are ranked ahead of the Ravens in the power rankings that came out this week as an absolute disgrace. They beat the Seahawks head-to-head, -head and they're in first place in their division, yet they're ranked behind the Seattle Seahawks. Whoever makes that power list, that power rankings list for the NFL, for the NFL.com, they know their ass from the elbow and... And ought and ought to be fired and and should find and should find uh out some alternative alternative employment option because how in the world you rank the Seahawks ahead of the Baltimore Ravens when the Ravens beat the Seahawks head to head in their building and the Ravens are in first place in their division. Now, granted, their division isn't as competitive as the NFC East, but still, Ravens in the first place in their division beat the Seahawks head to head. Yet the Seahawks are ranked are ranked higher than the Ravens. The dumbest, the dumbest thing in the world. The dumbest thing in the world. But anyway, Ravens and Steelers tonight. Uh, Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Um, excuse me. Uh, Patriots, their defense this season, they've given through eight games this season, they've given up, uh, about 7.6, uh, points a game, 234 total yards by their opponent Two, they've only given up two touchdowns on a uh, defense, 19 interceptions. I believe they have five defensive touchdowns, which leads all of football, uh, looking very eerie, similar, actually better than the 85 Bears that averaged 14 points a game, gave up 305 total yards in 1985, gave up 10 touchdowns and two interceptions through the first eight games of uh, of the uh, of the season. So this 2019 Patriots team is is looking better than the 85 Bears, and give Bill Belichick all the all the credit in the world for that. Mar Jackson's 11 and three as a starter. Since week eight, or excuse me, since week eleven of last year, uh, Tom Brady and Russell Wilson are QBs that have more wins in that span. Uh, dominant defense, like I brought up earlier with the Patriots, they nineteen interceptions, and only have allowed two passing touchdowns this season. If you look at the this Patriot defense against the two thousand Ravens defense, two thousand Ravens gave up eleven points a game, gave up two hundred fifty one total yards per game. And their touchdown to interception ratio was five to thirteen for the Ravens. The Patriots is two to nineteen, and their opponent's QB pass rating is forty for the Patriots, forty point six, and the Ravens was sixty one point nine. So the Patriots already through halfway through the season are is doing more and has and has done better than the two thousand Ravens and the nineteen eighty five Chicago Bears defenses, two of the most great de greatest defensive teams. 
of in the in the hundred year of in the hundred year history, or excuse me, the hundred season history of the National Football League. So this Patriot defense has done uh some has done uh some great things. Uh but the Ravens have averaged but but they're gonna have to slow down uh Lamar Jackson in the Ravens offense that's averaged about thirty points a game and and has averaged over four hundred and thirty four total yards uh this season. So they, both defenses are gonna have the hands full. Patriots uh, Ravens defense of course going up against the GOAT and Tom Brady. Going up against the goat that is Tom Brady, uh, who who the Ravens have had their number against before, of course the two, of course the uh, the two thousand nine, uh, wild card game, and they beat him in the NFC Championship game in two thousand twelve after Lee Evans and Billy Cundiff spit the bit the previous season. They beat him in that Sunday night game on September the twenty third, where. Uh, Tory Smith had the legendary game after his brother passed away, and Billy Cundiff made that crazy field goal that went straight over the uprights. And Bill Belichick, you know, got got flagged for a couple bucks for touching an official after the ball game was over, and the crowd chanted BS five million times, which ironically enough was the last time these two teams uh, played each other on Sunday Night Football. It was back seven years ago, in two thousand twelve, the Ravens uh, Super Bowl season. Uh, the team played has played once since that 2012 AFC Championship game that was in 2014, the divisional game. That, of course, was the game that kind of kick-started the whole deflate gate debacle with the New England with the uh, with the New England Patriots. They played a they played a uh, and then of course and then they played a Monday night game in 2016 on December the 12th, where the Patriots won. 30 to 23. So this is the team that 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 does not play I got to say does not play as often it does not play as often as they should. I mean everyone everyone goes crazy and is chomping at the bit for Patriots Steelers. I don't know if it's if it's biased because even though I'm not a Ravens fan, I'm a Baltimorean. So I don't know if it's hometown bias or not. You you guys make that decision. But but in my opinion, I get a bit, I get a bigger kick out of Ravens Patriots than I do Patriots and Steelers. I mean, those games are good, but it's 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 it's, it's kind of a it's kind of you know it, to me it's it's a one sided rivalry. I mean, outside of one time the Patriots or excuse me the Steelers beat the Patriots last year back in December, I look at I it's, it's, to me it's a very very one sided rivalry. The these two te- these two teams. You know the Patri- the Ravens have only won three times since these teams have gone up against each other since '96, but the conf- but two playoff vi- but two playoff victories and a and a regular season game on Sunday night kind of go a long way. Even though the Patriots are currently on a three game win streak against the Ravens, and the Ravens are looking to uh, reverse that fortune here tonight. This time, no Joe Flacco. It's Lamar Jackson. So. Well, this might be the Patriots' uh, biggest defensive. This might be the Patriots' defense's biggest test yet, going up against Lamar Jackson and that uh, high-powered, high-flying Ravens offense has been on fire uh, for the most part of the 2019 season. While the Ravens' defense is going to have to do a be- going to have to do a better job of uh, stopping 
Tom Brady and the Patriots. They gave up 41 points in 2013. They gave up 35 points in 2015. They gave up 30 points in 2016. But then, but uh, you know, but the last two games, of course, were at Gillette Stadium, and uh, this Ravens defense has started to turn its way uh, to uh, turn the corner uh, here in 2019. But I hope, and I hope, and I expect this will be an exciting thrilling down to the wire football game as is as it should be and as and as I hoped it to be. Uh because these two teams, Patriots of course trying to trying to keep that undefeated season alive trying to keep that undefeated season alive. Ravens Ravens of course, you know, trying uh trying to keep pace and try to extend the lead in the in the AFC North. And also trying to knock off the uh also trying to knock off the New England uh Patriots and trying to finish their undefeated season. When those two teams met in two thousand seven on Monday night football, the Patriot the Ravens came all so close to beating the Patriots on Monday night football, ending their ending their uh what was at the time, or at least an undefeated regular season. The Patriots of course went on to lose to the Giants in Super Bowl uh, 31, or excuse me, Super Bowl 41. But it should be an exciting football game. Lamar Jackson going up against Tom Brady should be the best Monday night, or excuse me, the best Sunday night football game of the season by far, at least on paper, will should, uh, will be the best uh, game of, uh, of week nine. And let me give you, and let me... Give you my pick of who I think is going to win the ball game. I be- listen. Ravens, Ravens defense is going to have the hands full of Tom Brady, the greatest of all time. He's had the number the last three times they've played him. They play in they 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 this time they're playing in Baltimore, which uh, which serves the Ravens well. Like I said, undefeated in Baltimore on uh, on primetime games since two thousand eleven. But the Patriots, but the but I can't pick against Tom Brady in the boat. The the this is this is another this is another special memorable Patriot team, and I'd I'd like the Ravens to win just to kind of, just to end the Patriots undefeated season to kind of like put the Patriots out on front street even though they are a beatable football team, but I'm I'm gonna say the Patriots are favorite minus three and a half. I say the Patriots win tonight, thirty-one to twenty-eight. So I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast. If you like what you heard, new to the program, be sure to subscribe. Whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever the case might be, iHeartRadio, share with your friends and family, co-workers, acquaintances, whatever the case might be. I'm Jai Shields. Enjoy the Sunday football game. Enjoy the rest of your week. Take care. Talk to you next week.